the people that need jujitsu the most are the people most likely to quit because it's too hard and they're overwhelmed. Man, I get a 250 pound college wrestler. Jiu-jitsu is going to change his life. Yes. Jiu-jitsu is going to be good for him. Yes. But it's, it's going to change his life path by like five degrees. Somebody that's like brutally overweight, never done a sport, starting to tank, getting depressed. That person does jujitsu and it's a fucking 180 degree life path change. We got to try to reduce the overwhelmed feeling. But if I'm like, all right, here's three different escapes to mount. This person, you can see it right away. As soon as the first guy steps across their chest, you see their eyes. I'm not doing this. I'm waiting for this thing to be over so I can go home because I don't want to do this. Anymore. And that's cool. Like if you're comfortable losing those people, good for you. Build a competitive fucking badass school. But that's not what my point is. My point is not to have monsters. My point is to make monsters. Right? My point is to take people and make them stronger and less afraid. So I need those people to not quit. Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. In today's episode, we're joined by an OG in the martial arts community, Jay Jack, co-owner of the Academy in Portland, Maine. And just a reminder for everyone to please like, share, and subscribe, and go check out our Forever White Belt merchandise. We've got coffee mugs, hats, sweatshirts, and more. Jay's martial arts journey began at the age of five with karate, leading him through a rich tapestry of disciplines, including Muay Thai, Jeet Kune Do, and Judo. He spent five years studying Shaolin Chinna under the renowned Yang Zhuing Ming, and his dedication to jiu-jitsu and valetudo has been unwavering since finding the legendary Amal Easton in 1988. As a decorated fighter with victories in organizations like Ring of Fire and Gladiator Challenge, Jay is not just an accomplished athlete, but also an exceptional instructor. Having produced numerous decorated athletes, he brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to our conversation. We delve into the unique on-ramp program at the Academy, designed to make the first step into jiu-jitsu less intimidating. Jay will share his insights into his teaching philosophy, the fusion of diverse martial arts disciplines, and the challenges and rewards of online learning through his platform, Functional BJJ. Get ready for an insightful journey as we explore the world of martial arts, from the evolution of teaching methods to memorable fight experiences. And with that, I give you Jay Jack. Jay, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, let me ask you a question since we're already talking. What in the hell made you pick me? Because like in my mind, I mean, I used to have some relevance back in the day. Like I felt like, you know, I was one of the earlier guys on the scene in MMA and like, I don't like to use the word pioneer or whatever, but like people have referred to me as like one of the early guys in the game or whatever. And I was one of the first jujitsu schools on the East Coast, one of the first MMA schools in Maine, whatever. Okay, cool. But that was like way back then, like in my head now, like I'm not, I haven't competed in a long time. I did one, like come out of retirement match, like a couple years ago, haven't competed forever. I don't fight anymore. You know what I mean? What the fuck? How the, how did I get on your radar? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think the significance of the Academy out of Portland, Maine is such, is so big and it's, it's resonance is sort of spread throughout the world, sure. oddly enough. And we had an individual on the show recently named Casey uh, Milliken. Milliken. 
yeah. out of uh, Las Vegas. And he yeah. speaks so highly of you. And I, one of the little things in passing that he said was like, Jay is a hidden treasure and you got to have him on the show. And sometimes I follow up on these things and sometimes I don't. And I did my research and I'm like, wow, this guy is really interesting. And I didn't realize the deep history of your story and why hasn't it been shared more? You know, so the, I like to reach out to those kind of guys and capture it for the listeners in the future, because I think that's an important thing. I don't, I'm, I'm so bad at business stuff and I'm, I'm not a self-promoter at all. Like I can't. And most guys aren't. You know, most of these academy owners are, man. Let me read you something that Casey said, and I and, uh, make you feel uncomfortable here or not. Uh, he said, quote, uh, Jay understands the human psyche very well and literally changes the way people operate and carry themselves permanently. He's responsible for giving me the tools to do everything that I've done that I'm proud of. He's done this for hundreds, if not thousands of people. Now, that's an incredible testament to your work. Yeah. I mean, I take compliments poorly, so that stuff's always hard to hear. But yeah, the goal for me, the point of the academy, jiu-jitsu is wonderful. Jiu-jitsu is amazing. And it, it's a vehicle through which you can change people's lives. And it changed my life and all this good stuff. And it's specifically jiu-jitsu has benefits that we can talk about that other things do not have. And it's easier to get access to some of these benefits from jiu-jitsu than it is from other areas. But like to me, jiu-jitsu is like not the point. You know what I mean? Like the point is to help people become stronger and less afraid. That's the point. That's the point. like to, I mean, stronger, like physically as a side effect strength as well, but like stronger in character, like help people become stronger versions of themselves and less afraid, more able to navigate the world with their character, right? Like that's for me is everything. And so like we push that very, very hard in our school and that lesson gets taken on board very well. That's what most people remember from our gym is not so like, oh man, their arm bars were great or oh, their fucking spider guard is excellent or whatever. I mean, I got good foot sweeps before they were popular. So like, okay, cool. But nobody talks about that. Like anybody that's trained with us talks about the internal effects, like the effect we have on their character, or their personality, which is cool. That's a big deal. How do you guys articulate that? Is it simply by the instruction of whatever it may be? I know the academy offers, you know, Muay Thai, whole MMA side of it, and as well as jujitsu. Man, there are life lessons that occur in our building that I don't think people are talking about in a lot of other places. Like one of our shirts says, fix your face right? Like that's one of our shirts. It literally the front of our shirt says, fix your face. Because that's a thing that I say constantly, fix your face. You're not allowed to make faces. You're not allowed to emote, right? Like that's a big deal to me. Like, <laughs> so what do you want? Like a neutral approach or, or what do you want? Yeah. Controlled, like stoic neutrality or like controlled aggression at most. It's crazy what's happening. And it's like, it's a, it's a cultural thing. Like you, people learn to become weaker and weaker. Like when I was coming up, groin shots were allowed. They were allowed. Like you could fucking knee dudes right in the crotch. Nobody cared. Groin shots were up. 100% legal. Keith Hackney punched Joe Son in the crotch 20 fucking unanswered times in the UFC. And the dude didn't budge. I never saw a fight end from a, a groin shot when groin shots were legal. Nobody cared. But then like fights became like uh, groin shots became illegal. And now there's a break. If you get hit in the groin, you can take up to a five minute break. And if the judge sees you doing it, they could potentially take points off. This can affect the outcome of the fight. So guys learning how to play the game a little bit, get clipped in the groin, not even that bad. And they go, oh, and the ref stops 
Hey, easy time. And then the judges are like, oof. And they're like, hey, man, do it again. We're taking points. And it's this whole thing. Now, maybe the first couple of guys that got clipped were were game playing. They were ideally, hopefully, they were acting because they're playing the rule sets. Like, dude, I got fights stood up from booing. One of my guys was mounted. And this is not ideal, but like play the game. I leaned back and went, boo. And all the drunks behind me started going, boo. And the ref stood up. <laughs> That's a shit occurrence. Like it's it's terrible that that is possible. But when you're playing games, you play the game to its fullest with all the rules. That I didn't cheat. I hope that the dudes that were originally doing this were like, oof, they were acting and, and making a little bit of gameplay, right? Distasteful, but whatever. But now it's like little kids watching these guys they look up to as these tough motherfuckers get clipped and just go down and writhing and holding their groin. And now that's what you do. When 16-year-old kids come in, somebody flicks the head of their dick and they just go down. Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify and become a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Get ad-free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe and check us out on Instagram at forever white belt show. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring, T-E-E, spring.com, forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Check us out on YouTube now, at Forever White Belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. They're amazing instructors, and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. And it's like a soccer neck injury or something, huh? But they don't even understand, like, in their they're not even aware. It's not like they're making a conscious thing to go, like, I'm getting attention. They're just like, this is what it is. Like, and I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, dude, get up. Or they'll get hit in the fucking liver, and they'll just make this face. And I'm like, look, man, the lesson that we teach is if you took a cadaver and you put electric stem on its forearm, you can make its hand close. If you put it on its thigh, you can make its leg kick. There's nowhere on you on a cadaver's body I could put electric stem and make a facial expression. Other than putting it on its face, I can't put it on its leg and make a facial expression. I can't put it on its arm and make a face. I can't put it on its groin and make a facial expression. That face is not a physiological response to stimulus entering your body. That face is a choice. You are emoting. You're letting it out. And so, like, that's the first thing, right? So the mantra in the gym is fix your face, fix your breathing, fix your position. And that position can be, we're talking specifically jujitsu, or it can be in life. Like your spouse has greatly upset you and you're starting to freak out a little bit. Fix your face, fix your breathing, fix your position. Maybe that means leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe that means quit your job. Maybe that means leave the party. Whatever it is, whatever that position is, metaphorically or physically, it's fix your face, fix your breathing, fix your position. So when people's face starts to crack, that's the beginning of them falling off the ladder of being able to control the situation they're in. And so that's the first part, fix your fucking face. And so it's just, it trips people out. Like it didn't used to be like, I remember when I was a kid, that was a big deal. Maybe it was just this culture I grew up in was like, man, get your face straight. Like, why are you making a face? Like, don't make a fucking face. But now it's just like people like CrossFit, they get done with the workout and they just collapse to the floor. And like, fuck it. What are you, what are you doing? Oh, so hard. Yeah, but why are you practicing like, like, why are you emoting like that, dude? Stop. Like, stop letting that emotive out. That gets into people's heads. It starts as a life, it starts as a mat lesson. Fix your face. Stop looking disappointed. Stop shaking your head. Stop acknowledging you got past and going, <sighs> you know what I mean? Like, fix your face. 
correct your breathing and they'll fix your position. But people wind up taking that lesson into other aspects of their life that make a drastic difference, you know, because like most of the life lessons you learn through jujitsu, like jujitsu is a metaphor for life. Anything that helps you on the mat will help you in your life if you take the lesson from the mat and apply it to your life. So it's just a metaphor for life. The the strategy of how jujitsu deals with the mat is how you can help yourself deal with life as well. The psychologist mentioned that people who just smile, you know, even if you're depressed in the mirror or whatever, you actually get a certain percentage of happiness or what, or just, I'm bastardizing this, but yeah, of course. you see what I'm saying. There's a proprioceptive feedback loop between your facial expressions and your hormonal profile. Like that's just the way it is. Like you know, fake it till you make it or whatever. People have said that. But like the truth is if you make a bummed out face, the hormone profile that you have internally starts to be the bummed out hormonal profile. You actually will feel more like your face looks. And now if you have a feeling, your face will start to show that feeling. But that feeling is like a feedback. It's like a mirror that goes back to your body and goes, yeah, we do feel that way. It's like if you get upset and you're standing next to somebody else that's upset and you're like, man, I'm bummed out. And they go, me too. That's bullshit. And you go, yeah, it is bullshit. And then you guys go back and forth until you're all fucking riled up. That's your internal state and your face. So it's like you have to learn how to stop your face from cracking so it doesn't continue to make everything else worse. So like fix your face because that's an instantaneous thing. And then it's fix your breathing because in your breath, there's the hippie side of it and then there's the technical side of it, right? Like there's sympathetic nervous system activation and parasympathetic nervous system activation. Sympathetic is fight or flight. Parasympathetic is rest and digest. These are the, the, the catchphrases we use for that. When you are in arousal, you go into sympathetic nervous system activation and that's fine. But if the sympathetic nervous system gets over aroused, you can't, you like your decision-making goes poorly. Your ability to process information goes poorly. Your vision gets tunneled. You get overly focused on a small detail. Like this is what happens when people are in emergency situations. Like tunnel vision is literally a part of that that just focuses in on one little tiny thing. Like when you're watching somebody new compete, they can't hear their coach. That's SNS activation. They're just like, blah, their pupils are blown. They, their auditory exclusion, they're just like, ah, in this match. And you're like, move your hand. And they literally cannot hear you. They'll look right at you and are not processing their eyes. Like they're looking at you and they do not see you. That's because their SNS is too hyped up. Like their, their, their sympathetic nervous system is, is too highly aroused. Well, how do you deal with that? Well, you have to deal with it with your breathing. So you have to learn how to slow your breathing down so you can calm yourself, pull yourself out of sympathetic nervous system activation and learn how to get more to a, not flattened because you need a certain amount of arousal to fight, but relaxed. Like good fighters are relaxed. Like they're not flat, but they're not intense and hyped up and all fucking, you know, jumpy. And so like you have to fix your face because that's an immediate fix. And then you have to fix your breathing. And then once you've got your face and your breathing fixed, now let's start fixing the problem that caused you to be in this situation anyway. What is it? Is it emotional? Is it physical? Is it psychological? Is it chemical? Like, what are we doing here? Is it side control? Like, what are we doing? Let's fix this. Let's work on this. But you can't begin that process without the first two. That's the kind of shit that like is common vernacular in our gym that honestly people are shocked when they come in and we're like, dude, guys will get done rolling and they'll just collapse on the mat. And like, they're so tired, their hands over their head and their knees crossed and they're just like sucking wind on the mat. I'll go like, dude, get off the fucking mat if you're going to act like that. And they're like, what? And they get all weirded out. And I'm like, dude, get off the mat. When I explain it to children, when I teach kids, if I ever do, when I explain it to children, it's make-believe. I go, look, the mat is magic. And if you cry on it, if you cry on the mat, you'll ruin it. Like it's magic. 
This is where we all get stronger. But if you go <laughs> on it, you'll ruin it. So if you're going to cry, I have no problem with you crying. Cry as much as you want. I'm not the macho dude saying don't cry, but just get off the mat because you, you'll fuck the mat up. And I tell adults, like, that's obviously like the nightlight makes the monsters go away that you tell children. <laughs> but the adult version is, dude, like, this is the space where we keep our shit together. This is where we practice keeping our shit together. You can't let go of it in this space ever. Because it's a disease. You let go of yours, somebody sees it, let's go of theirs. Somebody else sees it, let's go of theirs. And it's like a fucking virus that travels through the gym. People just emoting and letting themselves let their weakness go. So there's like some semblance of, and I don't want to get too woo-woo about it, but sacredness to this mat that you're mentioning. Yeah, sure. I mean, like we can go the, this mat is sacred, don't do it. We can go like, don't be a bitch, like whatever wording, whatever vernacular makes you feel better about it. But the truth is like people in this culture nowadays just don't even understand the value or importance of keeping your mental strength together. Do you know what I mean? Like down to like stupid shit, like when they're, when they're sparring or when they're rolling, somebody will do something, they'll get clipped with something and you'll see them after they get clipped go, <sighs> It's real quick. It, uh, and then they go back in. Somebody starts to get past the guy who gets past the frames and they go, and then they're right back to the thing. But to me, I see it and I'm harp on it. Stop making that fucking face. Stop it. And they're like, why? I'm like, because you are practicing letting your concentrate, like you should be focused on the task at hand right now. Every time you practice coming off that focus and letting yourself have this vent of like, uh, 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 you're teaching yourself. After this, I do this. After this, I do this. After this, I do this. And in a match, in a fight, in a moment of truth, you'll have that eh, and then be like, oh no, I can't do that right now. And if you break your concentration so you can have your little pity party, then the guy's not breaking his concentration. He's going to run through that window because you're not paying attention. Is this something that evolved for you though? Meaning like 20 years ago, you opened the academy. Is this something that you learned or something from day one that became part of the culture just or just tell me how it's evolved I, well it hasn't evolved at all my dad put it in me when i was a child man like when i was a little kid i learned from my dad like my dad was a scrapper he wasn't like a martial artist of any kind but he was a fucking monster right i learned a lot about life and fighting through him and he was the toughest most stoic dude i've ever met in my life right and i aspire to live up to that his thing when i was a kid and he was talking to me about fights wasn't you can't lose the fight. It was you can't let them change you. Like you can whip my ass, but you can't make me cry. Like you can beat my ass, but you're not going to change my facial expression. Somebody changes your facial expression, they've broken your heart. And so like that was what my my dad was just me like in my head like they can't can't change my face, right? That was the big Now I've taken from that I've read a shit ton, self-studied. Like I dropped out of the seventh grade. So like on paper, I have no education, but I spent quite a bit of time self-educating before the internet where you actually had to go to a building and look up a book. You know, I spent a lot of time reading psychology and sports psychology and about stoicism and Buddhism and all kinds of stuff. And I got super deep into it. And that's something that it was his kind of uneducated version don't let them break your face. But as you start reading everything else, you get into the whole thing. Like the Buddhist definition of suffering isn't your circumstances. It's wishing they were different attachment to this idea. And so like 
Stoics keep a straight face. Buddhists keep a straight face. And then you realize like, oh man, that idea of fix your face is actually kind of a profound pillar of almost every esoteric practice, almost every self-improvement practice. It's just that nobody thinks about it. Like you're in a gym. And so they're like, that's not this space. This is not the space where you change who you are psychologically internally. This is the place where you like learn to do jujitsu tricks. And to me, it's not like that. To me, it's a personal development place as much or more than it is a fight place. Now onto some history and some interesting history of yours. People have on more than one occasion come into your gym over the years to challenge you. <laughs> Can you tell me the story about the Krav Maga guy that wanted to spar with markers to simulate oh, knives, no. please? So he wasn't Krav <laughs> He wasn't Krav Maga. I don't know what he was, but he wasn't Krav Maga. <laughs> okay, so we we were in the basement space. The school at the time was located in the basement of a building. So like you had to go in the alley in the back and there's a door and you open that door and it's just like a foyer. And then you look to the side and there's a door with our logo on it and you open that and you just see stairs and hear music. And you got to go all the way down the stairs and look in this fucking basement and then it's us. And this was in probably 04, 05. So like it was still largely unheard of. I don't think Spike TV had had UFC yet. So it was like, it was still like, it was, it was known. Literally underground. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And we were just like, my place is like pit bulls running around and like, I'm cursing and nobody's bowing and there's fucking hardcore music playing and guys are training and it's like beautiful and like inspiring and amazing. But like, it's awesome. Sounds like heaven. Oh, it's beautiful. But it was, it's just, it's, it's, it seems like the kind of place that you wouldn't want to fucking be ridiculous at. You know what I mean? It seems like the kind of place you'd be like, I should probably be on my toes. And so this guy comes down. Uh, I get a guy that actually called me and we used to get this all the time. Like we would, we get visitors that want to come in and legitimately train. It happens all the time. We get people that are looking to train hard, like spar or train hard. It's not the same thing as visiting because they kind of want to brawl. Like they're getting ready for a competition or something. And it's a little bit like, I want to come in and train. And it's not that it's not friendly. It's friendly. They're not looking to visit while they're on vacation. Like they're looking to bang in a way that they can't really do with their own team because it would be bad feeling. So like when you're going to go that hard, you kind of got to outsource it to other places that are cool and like, let you do it. You won't have no hard feelings like, after it's over. You're like, Hey man, thanks for coming. It was beautiful training. Thanks bro. We're all bloody noses and it's all good. But like they got to come brawl. So he was falling into that category. There was back then a third category, which was just challenge fights. Like they would come in and be like, I want to see what this is. I believe jujitsu can't beat my monkey fist or whatever. And you were like, awesome. The one thing that the UFC ruined for us was challenge fights are fucking way more infrequent now. They used to happen all the time, like once a week. It was amazing. It was the best thing you've ever seen in your life. I enjoyed the shit out of it. And it happens far more infrequently now. Like it's a bummer. Now when it happens, I'm like, oh my God. But yeah, so this guy wasn't a challenge fight at first. He said, he called me and was like, I'm sparring. I'm getting ready for a fight. And what was he going to do? He was doing like a sand style fight, which is like Chinese kickboxing with takedowns, right? So it's like, I'm getting ready for a Sansa fight. And I heard you have good stand up and you do mixed whatever. And I was like, yeah, man, cool. And I'll fight whatever rule set I used to fight. We do stick and knife fighting. I mean, fuck. Like I, I'll fight. I don't give a shit. I'll, I don't care. I just enjoy fighting. And so I was like, yeah, please come on by. I'd love to train with you. Blah, blah, blah. At the time I was still actively fighting myself. So it was like great opportunity to train for me. And so I'm teaching jujitsu and we're doing like half guard stuff. And this guy comes in and right away you can tell that he's just like, 
not in a reality-based martial arts headspace. You can just see it. You're like, oh no, this is, you're like, you know, he's got like a woven basket backpack or something. You're just talking. Whatever, it's cool, man, it's cool. And so I'm teaching class and he comes up and I'm standing there and there's a whiteboard right beside me, right? And I'm like, all right, so got about another half an hour left in class. And if you want to warm up or whatever, I'll jump right in after the da 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 And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's just got this grimace on his face, like this is bullshit. And uh, I'd asked him, I was like, have you ever done jujitsu before? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. Is this, is because back then you didn't know that they mean Japanese or, or Brazilian. I was like, was it like this or was it more standing oriented? And he was like, no, it was that. And I went, uh, I was like, weren't a fan, huh? And he goes, well, it's cool and all. I just wouldn't want to use it in a real fight. And I went, man, I kind of have used it in a lot of real fights, bro. It actually kind of works pretty good, you know? And here's a quick deviation from the story. I never get mad at dudes for this because I was that guy. My introduction to jujitsu was a challenge fight because I was like, bro, that shit's not going to work. I'm going to fucking gouge your eye out and I'll grab you by the fucking throat and I'll slam you into the wall. And they were like, sweet. And then just like gift wrap me and pinch my nose shut. (laughs) What is this magic? I have to know it. Right. So I was anyway, but like, I never get mad at dudes like that because I'm like, yeah, man, me too. I've, I didn't understand until it happened. I didn't understand. And so I'm never mad. I'm like, cool, man. You know, well, it it actually does work. And I've done it in a ton of real fights and I can show you hours and hours of footage of blah, 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 blah. blah. And you can try it if you want. And he goes, well, maybe an individual, maybe a fist fight. But if the guy had a knife, I wouldn't want to do it. And I go, man, this is a problem that we run into quite a bit. If you're a jujitsu person, this is a trope that gets drug out in arguing with you all the time. Multiple opponents and weapons, but they always drag this out. And I go, yeah, I understand, dude. And I get it. And from the look of it, the guy's got a knife and we're rolling around and that seems like it's not bad. But what's the alternative? If not that, then what? What do you imagine you're going to do? You're like, what do you think is going to happen? And he's like, well, I've been trained in disarms. I can disarm a guy with a knife. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you kind of can't, though. You know what I mean? Like, you've never done that. Like, it just, I did dog brothers fighting. Like, we fight with sticks and like, you know what I mean? Like, and you, you fucking scrap. But I understand. I'm like, I've been in a couple of real knife fights. I've been stabbed a couple of times, cut, cut part of my finger off. Like, I mean, I've been in, I've been in the shit a little bit. Like, I've been around. And I was like, man, you know, it's harder than you think and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, no, it's not. I could do it. And I was like, eh, you know, and then he kept going and I went, well, hey, look, here's the deal. The cool thing is we're scientists here. You know what I mean? This is not a theoretical thing. We, we test the science of it and you seem really firm in your conviction. So that makes me go, I want to know because I want to know the truth. I don't want jujitsu to be right. I want to know how to fight. I believe jujitsu is the right theory, but if you have something else, I need to know. Like, so we should test this out because one of us is clearly wrong. And I was like, look, I'll take this marker and we'll make a make-believe knife and then I'll, you know, touch you up a little bit and you take it away from me and we can both experiment. We can, without risk, see how this works. And he went, okay. And I went, cool. You ready? He goes, yeah. And I went, and just go. <laughs> put a line across his neck, you know what I mean? Now it's a little bit less than fair because I've also done Kali and Eskrima and Bali and Tawak. I've done some Filipino stick and knife fighting before. So it's like, it's, I'm not just like, like, you know what I mean? I'm not good as I am at jujitsu, but like, I understand how to cut people. But I was like, all right, I cut it like a draw line across his neck. And he goes, I wasn't ready. And I go, all right, are you ready now? Let's do it again. And he's like, okay. And I'm standing there and he does like a little, like a little sidekick to my shin. And I went, chopped his neck again. I was like, see? And he goes, that would have broken your leg. And I was like, dude, that wouldn't have broken my leg. And he's like, yeah, it would. And I was like, no, it's not. And this is where I guess partially science as in I need things to be tested and proven and not discussed. And partially I get 
annoyed with people that don't accept reality. I'm like, bro, break it. Like kick it as I'm going to stand right here. I'm not going to defend it. I would like to see you break my leg. And he was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to break your leg, but I know I can. And da, 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 da. And I was like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to do another rep. And I want you to do, don't hypothetical, don't go, I would have gouged your eye. I could have grabbed your hair. I could have killed your balls or whatever. Like you do whatever the fuck you want to do. Treat this like it's a real knife. I'm going to mark you up and I want to see you take this from me. And he goes, okay. And I just fucking just draw all over his face. And then at some point he like grabs my hand. And I can't draw on his face anymore. So I fucking take him down and mount him. And I'm just poking him. I'm just polka dots on his face with this from the mount, right? I'm holding a marker. So at some point, the marker falls out of my hand and I push it away from us and I start fitting in. I'm not hitting him hard, but I'm just like touching his face with my elbow repeatedly. Like this is what would happen now. And he goes, okay, okay, stop. And I stopped and I went and we, I got off him and he sat up and he's just, he's like clown makeup on his face. And I go, see? And he goes, I disarmed you. I went, what? <laughs> he goes, I disarmed you. And I went, bro, look at your face. And he goes, these are false ones. I was like, dude, I can't. I was like, I'm having a hard time tonight, bro. I don't understand. I was like, listen, I'm, I'm hitting the end of my patience. What is it that you, you came here to spar? And we have now been talking about this for half an hour. So like, let's just agree. We're not going to agree on this and let's spar. Because I was like, I'm going to hit you now, right? And he was like, okay. And I was like, great. What do you want to do? Big gloves, kickboxing with takedowns, no problem. Like, that's not even my forte. I don't care. I'm going to hit you. <laughs> and we go like three, four rounds and I tune him up and it's like, it's fucking great. And then at some point after the thing, like I'm just smashing him. And at some point after the thing, we're taking our gloves off and I'm like, all right, cool, man. Hey, thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. Whatever. And he was like, it's just unfortunate to have to use these gloves because when you grab my legs, I would have just broken your neck. I was like, what? And he was like, I would have I broken your neck. Or like this other thing where you were on my leg, I could have just gouged your eye out. And I'm like, I go, look, man, here's the deal. One, gouging people's eyes out. So I grew up in a bad way, right? I've actually put my thumb in an eye and tried to take it out. And it's disappointingly not easy. You think it's just going to go thook, like a grape and it fucking doesn't do that, man. Eyelids are hard to overcome, right? It's always the gouging the eyes and the kicking in the nuts excuses. Oh, you know, so annoying. And so like, I'm like, dude, wow, have you ever tried? Like, it's not as, it doesn't just go boop and like, it's just not, it doesn't do that. And I go on top of that, even if you got my eye out of my head, do you believe that's going to make me stop? And he goes, yes. And I was like, you don't think somebody can fight with a fucked up eye? And he's like, no, if I gouge your eye, you will be done. I'm like, man, look, um, here we go. Cause this is what happens to me. I'm always like, all right, here it goes. So we're in a basement now, unrelated to this in my office, the place flooded, like it would flood all the time. So we're trying to fix this problem. So there's a fucking hole that has been like jackhammered out of the concrete. We're six feet deep into dirt under the basement of a building. There's a fucking hole in the dirt in the office and everybody can see it. Like, you know, we're doing construction. And I was talking to one of my students, Durfee. He was actually my second black belt. Now, back then he was still young and scared. And there's the stairs at the top of the, at the top of the thing. And I go, here's what's going to happen, right? Here's the deal. Cause I'm, 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 I'm tired of it. I'm done with this bullshit, right? Here's the deal. This is what's going to happen. Durfee's going to lock the door, right? He's going to go up the top of the stairs, lock the door so nobody can come in. Nobody can come out. My students are going to hold me down. You're going to gouge my eye 
out of my head. You can dig it out. You're going to do whatever you do it until you're satisfied. Like you're going to gouge my eye out of my head and they're going to hold me. So I can't defend it and I can't do anything. You're going to gouge my eye out of my head. And then they're going to let go. And when they let go, if you're right, I'm going to roll around holding my face. They're going to let this happen. We'll give it two minutes. We'll give it one minute. I'm going to roll around holding my face. After a minute, they're going to open the door and let you leave, right? And I will be have proven wrong. If I'm right and you're wrong, I'm going to beat you until you're fucking dead. And I'm not being hyperbole. I'm going to fucking kill you. And we're going to bury you in that fucking hole. That's what's going to happen. And he goes, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to leave. And I was like, you can go. <laughs> and he left. <laughs> but I gave the guy a chance to dig my eye out of my head. I was like, they're going to hold me down and let you do it. And the stupid thing is that conversation sounds ridiculous to people that don't know me. But anybody that's been around me is like, mm, yeah, that happened. I'm curious about how your ownership of the the academy has evolved over the years. Can you share some or some mistakes you've made and course corrections and you're adverse to do this, but advice that you'd give to this, some of these new black belts considering opening an academy? The biggest mistakes that I've made, I think, were more relationship in nature and not tactical. You know what I mean? It's often like that, I hear. Yeah. So the problem is, man, I, I grew up in the martial arts since I was five. And so like I've watched every iteration of problem that you can fucking imagine. Just like, just, you know, it's problematic because I think what happens is this is a, a systemic problem, I think, in relationships that branches into business relationships, right? But usually if you break up and there's no business, it's not that business relationships are different or should be treated differently or have different guidelines. All relationships should be treated the same. It's just that like, if you break up with a girlfriend, it's not as consequential as when you get divorced. There's just more like if you got to, who's going to sell the house and keep, or are we going to sell it? Are we going to, you know, what the fuck are we going to, do we have kids that we got to now do custody? Like, it's not that the parameters should change about what a good relationship is. It's just one is more consequential than the other because there's more, you're tied together more. So business relationships, you become tied together. And so when the relationship ends, it can be more consequential when you're trying to e extract yourselves from this relationship. And so like, I think relationship advice in general for me is there's a problem that people have with trying, they miscategorize a person. So for me, there's like these orbits, right? If you imagine like a center and then some orbits, right? There's, I don't know who you are. You're unrelated to me. Like you're just a generic, I know there's 8 billion people in the world. That's just a number. I don't know who they are. I have no attachment to them. That's just, they're unrelated to me. I don't know you. I don't know of you. You have no consequence. Then there's like an acquaintance. I know who you are. There's no consequence on my life. I don't lean on you. I don't need you. Like it's, I know who you are. Like but it's like the next orbit in is a, a acquaintance, right? And then there's like, there's friends where now there starts to be some like, I give you freedoms and liberties and privileges that acquaintances don't have. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're granted some privileges that acquaintances don't get. And then there's family. And like, if you're family, you get more privileges than acquaintances get. And then there's partner and you get more, do you know what I mean? And that's like as close as you can get. And so I think the problem is, in a lot of relationships, people want the person to be family, but they're really just a friend, but they want to fill the gap. Like when this doesn't, when this ring doesn't have that many people in it, people feel like Ugh, it's missing. And so they take somebody out of this one and stick them in this one. 
that's problematic, right? Or somebody showing you they shouldn't be on this level anymore, whether it's a whether it's an upgrade to a new level or a downgrade. People go, you know, well, they're my friend. And you're like, dude, they're fucking you. Like, this is a problem. And they're like, but and friends are, it's my mom. And like, you know, and it's like, I think that's the friction is that people don't acknowledge who someone really is. And so like, you'll be like, oh man, you'll have somebody that's kind of in your gym and they're a great guy and they really like it and you really want them to be part of it. And then you're like, yeah, 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 it'll work. It'll work. Come on, do it. And then you put them in this position where like that really, they just got really tied to you. And it's not necessary. It's like you guys got married and maybe you shouldn't have married that person without dating them for a little bit longer. You know what I mean? Like, like you just upgraded that relationship because you really wanted somebody to be there. Not because that person was deserving of it or crafted that place in your life where it just kind of organically occurred. And they were such a part of it that you're like, wow, you basically work here. It's like you made it such. And then that can run into problems because if they're not who you think now you got to fucking get a divorce. Now you got to deal with it. And that's, that's super problematic. That's interesting. The concept of how they can not only come into orbit, but actually leave that particular ring. Well, that's the thing is relationships are fluid. Now it's kind of like if you run the same experiment with the same parameters a thousand times, you should get the same result a thousand times if the parameters are exactly the same. Now, if you change a little bit, you're going to get something different. But like, for example, like Amal and I have a relationship. It's my teacher. Amal and I have a relationship. Our relationship has been the same and should stay the same, but that is because we haven't changed. Like we are still the same. I'm still potassium. He's still sodium. If you put those two things together, this is what you get. This is what it is. If I changed fundamentally, our relationship would change. Do you know what I mean? If he changed fundamentally, our relationship would change. We are not permanent. Like our relationship is only fixed because we are. Now everybody grows and changes. And so like the growth and change happens, but if both of you are growing in the same direction, relationship stays the same, or if it's negligible amounts of difference, I've changed my musical taste. That doesn't affect him in our relationship. So uh, <laughs> who gives a shit? But it's like, you know, if the change is negligible, then it's fine. Everybody's growing and changing, but people view themselves as these fixed entities and therefore relationships as fixed entities and they hold on to it or try to, they try to make it into something or pretend it's not something. And that's where a lot of pain comes from in relationships. I think to have that understanding and to be willing to upgrade and downgrade people as they, as they prove who they are, or like, that's an important part of mental health and relationship health. And there's a whole honor thing, man. I have bullet points of like, life lessons. This is what Casey's talking about because everybody, they learn jujitsu from me, but then in side conversations, they get to hear all this shit. So there's this concept of like, there's a like, literally your guest list. That's a concept people learn from me is your guest list. So like, if you're a friend of mine, you have certain rights and privileges that friends have that acquaintances don't have, but you also get a guest list. So like your sister will pretend you and I are friends. You have a sister. I don't fucking know her. I have no relationship with her at all. But if she shows up one day and goes, oh, I'm fucking Johnny's sister. No problem. This person has all the rights and privileges that you do because she's on your list. Vouching. That's the way it works. Do you know what I mean? I got to hold your list. A problem in a lot of stuff, especially in especially martial arts schools, when you come back to kind of the microcosm, there's a meme that I put up probably once every two years. It's Denzel Washington with a cigarette in his mouth and it goes, don't tell me what they said about me. Tell me why they were so comfortable saying it to you. Because if somebody says something shitty about them all, I'm going to slap them. This is the way it is, bro. Like this is 
holding the list and the example I give to my students. A couple of years ago, this guy shows up, used to work at a mall's place, right? And so he's with a mall. He's family. So no problem. Shows up. He's looking to train. No problem. Everything's cool. Hug, hug. What's up, dude? <laughs> and then I was like, so how's it going? How's, how's the mall's place going? And he goes, well, I don't work there anymore. And I'm like, oh, no problem. Are you good to be here? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, are you, are you good? <laughs> like, was it amicable? Because bro, if you're not good with him, you're not good with me. You can't be like, you can't be here. You know what I mean? And it's, it's borderline insulting. If you guys are bad, but you think I'm not going to hold the list, you're insulting the shit out of who I am as a, like, you're insulting my honor. If you think I'm not going to hold the list. And so I was like, are you good? And he's like, I think so. I go, well, look, here's the deal, man. I'm going to make a phone call. And so like, you're welcome to hang out for the end of this phone call if you want. And if everything's cool, everything's cool. But if they tell me we're bad and you've been in my gym for fucking two hours training, I'm smashing you. Like you, you can't, this is not okay. And he was like, yeah, man, make the call. I was like, no problem. Cool. Call Elliot. I'm like, what's up, dude? And he's like, Hey, what's going on? And I'm like, Hey man, you good with this guy? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're cool. And I'm like, cool. He's like, why? I go, cause he's in here. And I told him if he, I was like, he's been in here for like two hours. And I told him if he has been in my presence for two hours and put me in a bad spot, I was gonna smash him. And Elliot was just like, dude, I love you. <laughs> Nobody does that anymore. Like that's not a phone call you get anymore. And that should be the first phone call. I got concussion issues because of taking too many shots. Right. And there was one time in Denver, I'm standing there. I see some guy, I haven't seen him in forever. And I forgot he had a beef with one of my friends and I totally forgot. I see him. I'm like, Hey, what's up, dude? And I start talking. <laughs> I start talking and he's just talking. And then like five minutes into the conversation, I go, Oh shit. I was like, Oh hang on, bro. Like, did you work that shit out with so-and-so? And he's like, no. And I go, fuck, man. I'm sorry. Now that's my fault. I, Cause I wasn't trying to insult him. Cause that's insulting. If you assume somebody's not going to hold a list, that's insulting, bro. Cause you're saying they're a bitch. I was like, I go, Hey man, look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put you in that position. I shouldn't have talked to you. I'm so sorry. I apologize. I'm going to go. Sorry about that. And we walked off and Mandy was with me and she was like, I was wondering why the fuck you were talking to <laughs> <laughs> I was like, babe, I forgot. She's All like, right. I'm going to ask you, but I thought maybe they worked it out. And I just didn't know. <laughs> no. That's like one of those, if you're around the academy long enough, you're going to hear that, like holding the list, you know, fix your face, hold the list, shit like that. Like these are life lessons, but that's the thing at the gym. I think the biggest problem I've had is putting people on that list that shouldn't have been there. You know what I mean? They hadn't actually earned their way on that list yet, but I really wanted them. It's like the business version of like you marry the girl after three dates because you really want her to be the one. She, she hasn't proven she's the one yet. You just really want her to be on that and paid the price for it for sure. And I would say advice to new school owners, people that are getting ready is those things like literally hold the list and make your circles, right? Like if you do that, it's very difficult for you to get fucked over because you're only putting people in the proximity to you that they have earned their way in, provably earned their way in. And you're willing to let them go and they know it. And if they know what the conduct standard is, they should understand. That's the biggest advice I could get is don't think about the business. Think about the quality and integrity of your relationships, not the money part of it. You can't get business advice out of me, dude. I don't do it. I didn't even have it. <laughs> this is the guy who doesn't have the kids program. So I was telling him earlier, he's leaving a ton of money on the table and he's not motivated by money. Apparently we moved into this new space like two years ago, this really nice space. Two years ago, we didn't plug our landline. in. Like we didn't have a phone for like two years. Like you can't call us. You can't call us. Dude. <laughs> That's like, insane. Yeah, okay. Like I've been calling. I'm like, ah, I didn't plug it in. But I mean, the thing is, dude, this is a terrible analogy, horrible analogy, cocaine. 
It doesn't need to have a landline. It doesn't need to advertise. There's no Facebook marketing. People that think it's awesome think it's so awesome. They fucking find it, right? Yeah. And so for me, Word of mouth is super, super powerful. It's probably the best. My strategy has always been just make it as awesome as you can make it. Be authentically about the personal development and people feel it. It's not to say that you can't get an edge with like Instagram ads and that kind of thing, but that's just not your jam. Of course, I'm sure I could improve the amount of money we make. I just don't like, I don't enjoy business. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like thinking about it. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I do automatic deductions of payments, but the only reason I do it is to keep my thoughts about that person clear. Like when I see somebody in the gym, all I'm thinking about is what they need from me for jujitsu. I'm not thinking about if they fucking paid, are they up to date on their whatever the fuck, did we change the credit card? I, I, I don't want to think about that. All I want to think about is jujitsu. That's all I want to think about. And so I have to set up the systems behind the thing enough. I have to automate it enough that that's what I can think of. Otherwise, I'd be like, did you pay? But like that's as far into business as I get. And it's not even business. It's to avoid thinking about business. Over the years of instructing, you know, since 92 or whatever, how have you seen the landscape of martial arts evolve and teaching evolve and, and what kind of adjustments are you making or have you made to your approach to keep up with, with all the changes? Three-part answer. Uh, one, I started learning how to teach from a very young age because in karate schools, older kids help younger kids. So when I was 10, I was teaching the five-year-olds. And when I was 15, I was teaching the 10-year-olds, right? So I've been in front of a room responsible for transmission of ideas ever since I was. And so like, I was really into studying, understanding how to teach. And that's the thing of like, I think this is not something I've learned about the landscape of, of teaching. I'll get to that in a sec, but this is just a thing of people that are in this. If you're asking questions about people that are learning how to teach, I think what you have to realize is that there are different types of learners. There's tactile learners, there's auditory learners, there's visual learners. So visual learners, you can say it a million ways. You have to, they have to see it. Auditory learners, you can see it a million ways. Not going to help. They have to literally hear you say the word. And then tactile learners have to feel something. They have to like, you have to move their foot and they go, oh, in each of these three ways of learning, there's direct and there's indirect. So like if I have an auditory learner that needs a direct approach, I have to say, take your right hand, move it laterally to his hip, palm down, thumb facing the floor, press outward. And they're like, ah, the total sense to me. But some need auditory, but they need indirect. So like if I'm talking about a sprawl, like sprawling off a single and I'm like, look, you're going to put your hand across here and then I want you to drive your leg and I'm giving them a direct approach and they stay blinking at me. I go, man, kick your foot like you're starting a motorcycle. And they go, oh, now that was auditory, but it was indirect. And this is where we use analogy and metaphor when we teach, right? Same thing happens with visual. Sometimes you're trying to show them a move and they can't see it. And I have to go get a fucking piece of PVC pipe and do a thing with the PVC pipe. And they go, oh, they had to see it, but not the direct action. They had to see something else that clicked them into it. So it's an indirect visual learner. And then there's tactile. Sometimes I have to take their hand and put it in the spot that it needs to go. But for some people that still won't help them. We have to do something like I have to, hey, check it out. You remember how to play hot hands when you were a kid? And I go like this and we do this. And then I go, it's just like that. And I go, oh, they had to feel it, but it was indirect. 
right? So understanding the different types of learners and understanding that there's a direct and an indirect approach to each of those styles of learners, then you start to go, well, how many metaphors do I have in the bank for this? Like I have a thing that I can show. And this is where people run into problems with teaching. People usually teach in the style that they learn. So if they're a visual learner, they want to show it all the time. That's just the way they do it. Or if they're an auditory learner, they want to say it all the time. And then they'll throw it out there. And if 35, 40% of the room is also a visual learner, everybody gets it. But then there's half the room that's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But then the problem is they'll go over and they'll say, okay, let me show it to you again. Let me show it to you. Let me, fuck, let me show it this way. But they keep trying to do the same style of instruction to a person that learns different. So if you can learn, teach the way that you're the most comfortable, like like a shotgun, scattergun, like teach the way that you're the most comfortable, take out half the room, look around and see who doesn't get it. Walk up to them. If there's three or four of them at the same time, you go, hey, everybody back in. And now I'm going to throw a, a, if I did an auditory first, I'm going to throw a visual at you. I'll get another third of the room. And then I got two guys left blinking at me. And then while these guys are practicing, I go over and I try tactile approaches with those two. You know what I mean? So it's like learning, learning about different styles of learners and different approaches, I think is a, is an important part. Like most people don't think that deeply about teaching. And that's the difference between a very good instructor and a like, you know, somebody that can teach like pretty good and it's good class. And then somebody that's like, holy fuck, that guy can teach. As far as what I've noticed be different, there's two things I've noticed. There's one thing I've noticed different and one thing I've done different. The thing I noticed is different is people are less athletic and less tough. And it's really weird because I can look now that we've been doing it for 20 years, I can show a class on paper because I have a curriculum and I, I used to write syllabus and stuff like I, I'm way off nerd deep in teaching ideas, right? I'm not just like, me teach some bullshit. When I design a class, it's like, it's not just random moves. You know what I mean? Like you can make things more digestible if you chunk them in a, a more cohesive way. There's chronological classes, there's conceptual classes, and then there's situational classes, right? Like a chronological class is I do a double leg, I pass your guard, I do Americana. And I've got to show you how to do the double leg. All right, everybody back in. Once we've done the double leg, now we're here. And I've got to show you how to pass the guard. And then I got, you know what I mean? And the whole class is a chronological story, start to finish. Situational is I'm on the bottom of side control. Here is one escape. Here is a different escape. I'm not running down the track of timeline because if I did that, I'd go, I escape to the guard. And now from the guard, I sweep. It's just in this situation, I have all these different options available to me. That's a situational class. I mean, there's a conceptual class, man. Here's the arm drag. This is how we do the arm drag. Now we're applying it to standing. Now let's look at it from butterfly guard. Now let's look at it from half guard. Now let's look at it from closed guard. Now let's look at it from, you know what I mean? And you can say this concept can appear in a number of different scenarios. So those are ways that you can group your information together to make it more digestible. Because if you just scatter on random shit at people, it doesn't stick as well. I can look at a class that I designed, like a chronological class that I designed 18 years ago. Like I put it together, said, this is what I'm going to teach tonight. And everybody in the room, no problem, digested it. And I would reuse that class. Other teachers would come in. I'd go, hey, teach this class. You know what I mean? And they would like, no problem. And we would all get through the material with a random group of people. If I tried that same class now, I'd get about halfway through it. It wouldn't, it's too much information. Not because people are stupider, 
but because like teaching somebody to bridge and then hip out, it used to just be the idea bridge hip out, no problem. But now I'm like, they can't elevate their hips. They're not like you push with your elbows, they push with their hands. And like, we have to split it up into smaller and smaller pieces to get them to do it. And so it takes more time. And so it's really interesting that the level of physical prowess and toughness has gone down so far that it actually affects the amount of material you can get across in a day. That's something that we've just, me and all my old time teachers are going to talk about. You're like, fuck me. People learn so slow now. Holy shit. It's crazy. Now what I've done differently, the only thing, the biggest thing that I've done differently, and since I'm terrible at money, I should keep this a secret, but that's okay, is uh, we've made an on-ramp class, right? Now I got this idea from CrossFit. So the on-ramp program has been probably one of the biggest developments in the teaching in probably the last 15 years or so. It's like you show up, there's a class, you jump in, you go. Right. And the issue is this, right? Like 15, 20 years ago, I didn't notice it as much. The people that need jujitsu the most are the people most likely to quit because it's too hard and they're overwhelmed. Man, I get a 250 pound fucking college wrestler. Yes, jujitsu is going to change his life. Yes, jujitsu is going to be good for him. Yes, but it's it's going to change his life path by like five degrees. Do you know what I mean? Somebody that's like brutally overweight, never done a sport, starting to tank, getting depressed. That person does jujitsu and it's a fucking 180 degree life path change. Do you know what I mean? Like the people that need jujitsu the most are the people most likely to quit because they're overwhelmed. We got to try to reduce the overwhelmed feeling. And so there's tons of stuff. There's the new environment. Can't do anything about it. There's like new people. Can't do anything about it. There's this the awkwardness of the things. Okay, we can sneak that up on them slowly. Instead of like starting right away with somebody mounted on top of them, we can like do that second, third class. You know what I mean? I can like mitigate some of the effects of the awkward interaction. Now I couldn't do that. If I had somebody, three new people come into a regular class, I can't mitigate it for them because all my regular students are going to be like, why the fuck are we doing a no contact <laughs> What the fuck is this, right? But if I'm like, all right, here's three different escapes to mount. This person, you can see it right away. As soon as the first guy steps across their chest, you see their eyes. I'm not doing this. I'm waiting for this thing to be over so I can go home because I don't want to do this anymore. And that's cool. Like if you're comfortable losing those people, good for you. Build a competitive fucking badass school. But that's not what my point is. My point is not to have monsters. My point is to make monsters. Right? My point is to take people and make them stronger and less afraid. So I need those people to not quit. So the on-ramp class is a, a higher teacher to student ratio. So like I might have 30 people and one coach in a normal class. For that class, there's like 10 people, two, three coaches. So there's a higher number of coach to student ratio. So people are feeling like they're getting some attention. If they're like, eh, it doesn't take another five minutes for the coach to come over while they marinate in that stupidity. Like they get the bad, like, yeah, I don't understand this feelings go away faster. The class is laid out in a way that like day one, we're literally doing mostly almost all warm up stuff. The only contact that happens at the end of the day one class is some open guard up back to up and base stuff. So you're touching them with the bottom of your feet. There's not like all up in your shit. Learn how to hold open guard, kick, kick, kick up in base too far, too close. But it's like they have this one whole experience where they didn't yet go, oh, it's too much. It's a four week class. The first two weeks, it's off to the side by themselves with the coaches. Now it's happening at the same time as a, a normal class. So they get to see it. I don't have to do it yet. I get to look at the high dive for a couple of weeks before I got to jump off it. They get to meet people. They get to see people. Hey, how you doing? Oh, good to see you. You know what I mean? Like they're starting, they're, it, they don't go from the on-ramp to now a new social <gasps> hurdle. 
It's like they get matriculate in, but they're over here off to the side. First two weeks, they're off to the side. They're learning the warmups. They're going through the basic positions, basic ideas, too far, too close, five basic positions, yada, yada. They're not learning crazy shit. They're not even learning. I tell people, you're not going to leave that month knowing a bunch of jujitsu. You're going to leave that month feeling like you are ready to learn jujitsu in any environment. And that's the point because they now need to learn it. I can't teach somebody anything in a fucking month. And so it's like, we have this thing. So the first two weeks are off to the side with your coach. You go through the warmups, you go through all the stuff. It's nice. The second two weeks they're in the class, but their coaches stay with them and their partners are there. So like when they go, who do I pair up with? They have the, up oh, your familiar face. They go instead of that feeling of, I don't have a familiar face. If they get a little lost because the coach said, fucking buck. And they're like, what? The coach that knows you for two weeks goes, he means uh, shrimp. And they go, oh, oh, okay. Because they've got a rapport with you so they can help you out. After that month, those people, usually the training wheels are off and they're ready to go. Like they could go to a class with one coach to 30 people and not feel lost. They recognize half the class. There's nothing somebody can say, guys, we're working on hip out escape to side control. They're not like, what the fuck does that mean? They're like, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I don't know how to do it, but no problem. I'm, I'm ready to do this. That has been the biggest change to my teaching because regular classes are run like they always have been. But that has been really, really helpful. It has gotten where there's a demographic of people that could not have stayed long-term at a normal jiu-jitsu school that end up staying long-term. Now, maybe they stay for six, eight months, get a good bit of self-defense, learn some life lessons, quit. I made a big impact on them, but they're never going to compete or do anything cool, but I still had a good impact on them. They're still safer and less afraid than they were before they got there. Some of those people actually go from being the kind of person that couldn't hack it to being a fucking monster. And so that to me is the cool part. But that on-ramp program has been the biggest, like, this is a change I've made to the way that I structure things in order to reach a demographic of people that don't make it. Two questions. What makes a great student? And then can you tell me a time you ever wanted or considered quitting and why? I have never considered quitting teaching. I have considered closing the gym. Like I'll always teach. I'll teach, I'll teach two guys in my fucking garage. Like I will, as long as I'm breathing, I will be teaching martial arts. That's all I've ever wanted to do since what the day I walked into a karate school when I was five, I was like, I'm doing this. And that's all I've ever done my whole life. Right. So I'll never stop teaching. That's in my, that's my blood. I, I, I'll be dead if I don't, but that's not the same thing as saying I own a school. I have one time really considered it and one time sort of considered it, right? The one time I really considered it was I opened a second school. I'll never do it again. <laughs> I opened a second location. We had people in each spot that could run it, like, and I would bounce back and forth. But at the time, that was the moment I said I put some people in positions because I wanted them to be that guy and they weren't that guy. And a bunch of shit happened and went very badly. <laughs> And then I had to remove those guys from those positions. And now I'm trying to run back and forth teaching at both schools and both schools are starting to suffer because I'm not spending enough time at each one. And it was really bad. And I eventually closed the second location and went back to the first location, but it wasn't the jujitsu. It was the, when I had to boot those guys out, it hurt my soul so bad. Like I grew up in a idyllic biker club was the idea, like your brothers and I love you, man, and I'll die for you and you'll die for me and would never cross another. And it's just, it's, <laughs> and the truth is that doesn't exist. Like it can be close and it can be like, but it, it's not that movie that you see. It's, it's not that it is finding a level of character like that 
is very, very rare. And so to assume there's going to be a great number of group of people who all have that character is foolhardy. You'll find a few people with that character, but you're not going to go like everybody in my club, everybody in my gym, everybody in my organization is that guy. Like that kind of character is diamond rare. And so diamonds are valuable because they are so rare. Those kind of people are valuable because they are so rare. But I thought anybody with the patch, anybody wearing the colors were those people. And that was a mistake. And it hurt my soul when I realized you couldn't just put this patch on somebody's back and have them be what I am, like have them believe in the family circle like I do. And that hurt me. And I was like, if it's not this, what is the point? Like, if it's not this fucking familiar, like if it's not this thing, then what am I doing? I'm just running a business. And I don't want to be a businessman. I'm trying to make a goddamn, you know, I'm trying to make this fucking thing. And I was like, oh, I had to shift from I'm making my my club. I'm making my my family, like my club. That's not what I'm doing. Helping change people's lives. Because I can do that and not get my heart broken. If I believe that you're my brother, and you totally fall off and leave and don't live up to your expectations, it hurts my soul. If you're just a guy that I'm I'm really trying to help you move forward in your life and you jump off and go the other way, I'm like, eh. <laughs> I was helping you for as long as I could, man. You you know, it's a tandem bike. You pedal, I'll pedal, bro. You stop pedaling, hey, no problem. I got the next bike, no problem. And so like that hurt me and made me go like, I almost don't want to have the gym anymore because in my whole life, it was, I was making the clubhouse. And when I realized it wasn't the clubhouse, I was kind of like a little bit of an identity crisis. Like, well, what is it? And it took me a little while to make peace with the fact that I'm not making my clubhouse family. I'm, I'm making a place that people will use to become stronger and less afraid and they will then go on their way. And so now like when people leave, you're not like, oh, you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, of course I did my job. If I raise the kid, right, they leave. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um but that was probably in 08 right after i 08 or 09 right after i retired from fighting recession hit it was all fucked up and i was just like what am i doing man that was when i gave it serious thought when covid happened and they closed the gym i was like kind of like in the first part of it we were like dude is this even is this even a career anymore like is this just done our gyms closed. It's illegal now. Like what the fuck? Cause I'll never stop teaching, but I'm like, well, man, like all of my gigs were shot. Like you weren't able to get in person and dog train. You weren't able to get in person and do jujitsu. You weren't able to get in person. And I couldn't go to a bar. Bars were closed. So I can't bounce like my fallback bounce. I'm like, fuck man, I'm about to be a criminal. <laughs> like, holy shit. Yeah. So like, I was really like trying to figure out what my life would be without a school, but not because I wanted to quit because I thought it was going to stop. Well, those are the only two times in my life I've ever even looked at what my life would look like without it. And then the other question about what makes a great student and why? Uh, man, I think what makes a great student is somebody that wants to learn and this is going to, this is another one of my Jism type sayings, right? They're not watching the movie. Right. When I tell them, <laughs> this is a saying I have all, I have all these like little life sayings. They're not watching the movie. This is, you'll hear me be like, ah, motherfuckers watching the movie. I say that all the time. Like somebody comes in the gym, I'm like, I can't deal with him. He's watching the movie. They're not even present in their moment. They're watching the movie of this moment playing out in their head. They're not even there. They're not even present. They're looking at it from the third person going, yeah. Like they're watching the movie of this moment. 
And that you can't get good. Like you can't be a student like that. You can't get good because you're, you're divided. Half your attention, half your thought process is on this fucking movie you're watching. You're not trying to get better. And so that limits people, right? So if somebody is truly dedicated to learning, that's great. But people will be 50% dedicated to learning, 50% watching the movie. And today in this culture, more people are like literally 100% stuck in watching the movie. They're not actually doing it. And so like for me, I think that is the mark of a good student is they're not watching the movie. They're present and right there with you and on the path learning and they're not looking at it from the outside. Now to take a hard left turn to like Bummersville, I'm going to want to talk to you about October 18th uh, of last year. You were on your way home from the academy, your academy, when you were the victim of a head-on collision by a drunk driver. And I'm so sorry you lost your puppy also in the accident. I know you were in critical condition. I believe you went through two surgeries in the span of 24 hours. Uh, I'm actually shocked that you're cogent right now in doing this podcast. How is your recovery going? You look, at least on video here, from the torso up great. No, I mean, like it's, it's, a uh, it is slower than I would prefer, but faster than it has any right to be. You know what I mean? Like when I talk to doctors and, and physical therapists and anybody in the medical community, they're like, oh my God, how the fuck did you do that? So it's like, it's incredibly fast for what it is. In my experience, I'm like, this is pissing me off because I still can't quite kneel all the way down. <laughs> you know, I'm still, uh, it's 11 weeks ago. I'm still one week away. That's crazy. Being, you can't even kneel, dude. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing full range squatting motions, like on a, on a leg press, probably about 80 pounds or so I can do body weight squats, but I need like a box to stop me. I can't sink all the way down. Two weeks ago, I began doing jujitsu movements. I can bridge this week. I was able to get up in base using my bad leg without having to put my other hand down or get a spot. So like, it's coming, it's coming, but it's like, it's incredibly fast. If you look at on paper, what's supposed to have happened. But if you, me and my experience, I'm like, this is now October, November, November, like this is like the third month that I'm not training. And that just traps me. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, oh, I got to speed up. I got to speed up. But like, it's incredibly fast. It's faster than it has any right to be, but slower than I'd like. But I'm doing good, man. Like there was probably three or four surgeries on my leg. It was broken in seven places. Three of them were compound, meaning they were sticking out. I have pictures. My wife took pictures of my leg before they put it back together. It's fucking crazy. I can't look at them. I'll send them to you if you want. But it's like, they're just shin bones sticking out. <laughs> it's really like you can look at it and go, ooh, that's bone marrow. Like it's bad. They put that back together. But right when I got to the hospital, I was bleeding out internally and they didn't know why because you couldn't see it. And so they had to do exploratory surgery. So they opened me up from my sternum to my, like, you can fucking, it's like. Oh, yeah. Big one, right? Like just zipped yeah. it. Wow. They had to go in and look for the bleed and they wound up taking two foot of small intestine and most of my sigmoid colon out. And so when they took that out, they were like telling my wife, like, listen, he's probably going to have a bag. And they were excited. They were like, he's going to live. <laughs> and her and like our kid and like my first black belt, Paul Gorman, were all in the thing and they were like, all looking upset and they were like no no no, he's gonna live and they're like you don't understand you know what i mean if you put a bag on that guy it's over you know i can't train 
like we're done. And so my experience was I just woke up and was like, Hey, you're going to make it. So like my experience of this wasn't that bad. You know, it wasn't scary. It was annoying. And I'm like, okay, I've got a, I've got a long road to recover, but there was no like, you're going to die. There was no fear. It was just annoyance and disappointment at my situation, but no fear. But for my wife, there was probably three days where I was like in a medically induced coma while they were doing surgeries on me that she didn't know one, they were like, is he going to lose his leg? Is he going to live? Okay, now he's going to live, but we're not sure about his leg. Now he's going to keep his leg, but he's probably going to have a bag. So she was for days going through this like- It's what a roller coaster. Yeah. Oh, so bad. So bad. Her experience was way worse than mine. And so like they did probably a couple of surgeries on my stomach. And she said the last one they did, they talked to her before she went in and they were like, look, wrap your head around him having a bag. So she's trying to figure out how she's going to have this conversation with me. And like, you know, they were like, it's probably, it, hopefully it'll be temporary, but it's probably going to happen. And then they came out and they were like, we got it with no bag, but we don't know if it's going to hold. So like we did it, we got no bag, but we don't know if it's going to make it. And so for like 12 days, I couldn't eat or drink anything. And if I coughed or sneezed, I had to put like a pillow over my stomach and squeeze in so my intestines wouldn't pop out. <laughs> 14 days or so I could eat like soup and shit. And then like after another few days of that started eating more solid food and like now dude, I'm fine. Like I eat totally normal. Everything's cool. No issues with digestion. Everything's fine. My leg got put back together. Like I'm rehabbing it. I can walk. I'm mostly without my cane at this point. I mean, I had wheelchairs for a while and crutches for a while and a cane for a while. And now I'm mostly without my cane, you know, in one week I'll be past the danger like in week 12, they're like, your stomach is not going to blow. You're not going to get a hernia. Your leg is not going to re-break. Your tendon is not going to tear. So I'll be past the point of like, if I make a mistake in my movement, I could set myself back and then I'll be able to push a little harder. But like right now I have to be very cautious. I teach class every day. Now I'm back to the full schedule. I teach all the classes morning and night. Went to the gym this morning, ran a bunch of sparring, taught the class, watched people train afterwards, coached a little bit. So it's like three or so hours of teaching today. What a community you've built at the Academy. You have a couple individuals, one named uh, Kim Barber, another one named uh, David Hopkinson, who set up a GoFundMe for your rehab and hospital fees, which has totaled so far over $100,000. I mean, amazing. And you didn't ask for any of this. I know they set this up on their own. No, I wouldn't have. And it hurts. This is one of my flaws. This is not necessarily a good thing. A lot of my eccentricities are fucking cool and I've earned them and crafted them on purpose. But still want to, I, I do not ask for help and I have a very difficult time with taking help. Yeah, it's problematic. And so like when that happened, it was, it was very emotionally challenging for me. But yeah, I mean, I'm filled with gratitude and couldn't be more pleased with the fact that people feel the way they feel means I've done the job that I was supposed to do. This is very difficult to do, but yeah, they set that up. And that's rad because like, I don't know what people think. Some people, when they talk to me about it, they're like, dude, you're going to be set for life. Like I'm going to get some kind of money from this. And I'm like, <laughs> that dude was a multiple DUI in a borrowed truck with no insurance, dude. Like I'm not making money off this, bro. My insurance tops out at like a hundred K and I promise that I spent that in the first two days in the ICU. <laughs> Jesus, you know what I mean? Like it ain't that. GoFundMe is going to be the thing that keeps me from going as deep into debt as I could have without it. So I really appreciate it for sure. There's tons of gratitude, but like, man, it's fucking hard to do. It's challenging for sure. 
that gem didn't miss a beat, which is the point. I mean, it's good. Like the goal, I mean, it'll suffer a little bit. Like people notice a difference when I'm not there, you know, like there's a certain amount of that business that is charisma driven and face driven. Like it's me. However, the goal is to make it the kind of place that if I always, it's fucking weird to say now it's the first time I've said it, it's weird, but I've always been like, if I get hit by a bus, like that's always my like hot, like if I get hit by a bus <laughs> and now I'm like, fuck, maybe I shouldn't have said that so much. <laughs> but yeah, like the goal has always been like to make the kind of people in the kind of place that if I got hit by a bus, it wouldn't stop. If it stops when I die, then what the fuck did I do? You know what I mean? Like it's cool, but like I didn't make it keep going. And like to me, the, the biggest part of my accomplishment is that I've made this place and helped make other places that continue. Like it's rad to look at and go like Casey is an example. Kid trained with me for years. That guy's jujitsu has been deeply influenced and the way he runs his gym has been changed. And like part of the thing that got him fired up on that path was training at our place. I can pick 10 different schools in 10 different spots in the world that are the exact same thing. They crafted their understanding of the experience at our place and then went, this has to be somewhere else and made it. You know, it's cool. Like that it doesn't need me anymore. Like the lessons that need to be learned are being learned without me, which is awesome. That's the whole fucking point. Make yourself fucking obsolete is the point. Can you tell me about functional BJJ? Can you describe it to the listener and viewer? What, what it even is? It is my basic white belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu curriculum online. The reason we called it functional is because there is a thing that has happened in the last 10 years or so in jiu-jitsu where it is going from reality-based, applicable for fighting to not so much. Like, dude, I get it. It's cool. Jiu-jitsu's fun, man. It's fucking rad. But like, if somebody's in your house, you're not going to pull half guard. You shouldn't like, you're not going to, you're not going to turn your back on them and donkey guard. You know what I mean? While they're stabbing your grandpa. Like, it's just, it's just, it drives me bananas that now there's a whole subset. So back in the day, if you took somebody that did jujitsu and they were a fucking brown belt, a purple belt, blue belt, and you slapped them right across the face, you were going to get your ass whipped. Like, <laughs> no question. Like, it's a fight. There was anybody in any jiu-jitsu school, if your teacher looked at you and said, take off your top, you're doing Valley Tudo with this guy. Every single person would go, yep. And maybe they weren't excited about it, but they'd be like, I, because what you learn in jiu-jitsu is too far, too close. Climb the ladder of positions, put yourself in a position where you can hit them and they can't hit you. This is just basic baked into what it is jiu-jitsu. And they're then are like, look, after you learn how to do this, it's like, look, man, you learn how to ride a bicycle, learn how to ride a bicycle. You learn how to ride it in a fucking straight line. And then you learn how to ride it over some obstacles and through some fucking debris. <laughs> and then you can learn how to downhill if you want to. And that's fucking cool. And then there's tricks, dude. You can do half pipe shit. Fucking wee. You know what I mean? And that's awesome. And jujitsu follows the same path. You learn how to fight for life, like murder mitigation, murder a motherfucker. If you need to don't get murdered when you don't want to, like this is murder mitigation, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And then you get really good at that. And then it's like, cool, man. Like I have this foundation. I've been training for a year or two. Like I have this, but I'm still like, and I'm going to express a little bit. I don't want to just ride my bike in a straight line to work. I'm going to jump off a curb. I'm going to fucking see if I can ride with no hands. And you start playing the game. And now there's no strikes because we're just playing. And you're like, neato, cool, man. Isn't it? Yeah. And then you start to play around. And that's cool because I can fight, but I can play. And that's awesome. But then what happens is people long enough go, ah, jujitsu is this game. And they start to practice for the game. And if in the middle of rolling, somebody started punching them dead in the face, they would not go, 
oh shit, I see, and transition back to fight jujitsu, they would be absolutely lost and they'd get their ass beat. And that is just sad. If I have one of my guys that wins fucking medals at tournaments, but a dude can punk him on the street, like what have I done? I've let that guy down. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's not okay. Like, not to say like, if you lose a fight, you can't come home, but like, you have to know how to fight and then start to express yourself artistically because jujitsu is both. It is a way of fighting and surviving combat. And it is also a really cool, artistic, expressive game and sport that you can play like chess into infinity and all these crazy things that you can come up with. But it's both. Like when you lose the base for the fucking flowery shit, it's no good. To me, it's just like, it's, it's, it's a thing. And so I feel like it's lost. I can't tell you how often beginning of all my basic classes is kicks and up in base. Somebody takes you down, you do a break fall, post the feet on the hips, kick, kick, like kick to the face, kick to the knees, up in base with a cover, kick, 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 up in base. Bah. And we start over back and forth, back and forth every day, back and forth, back and forth, right? Dude, brown belts come in and don't know how to break fall and also don't know how to kick and get up in base. And you're like, what the fuck are we doing, dude? What are we doing? Like, what's happening right now? And I'm not bagging on that kid. He's doing the best he can or whatever. But like, man, it makes you want to go talk to his teacher and go, what the fuck, dude? What's going to happen the day that guy gets punched in the fucking mouth and gets his ass whooped? And then like, oh, jujitsu doesn't work. Because man, I went through that experience. Like my whole life has been a series of beatings, disappointed in martial arts. Started karate when I was five and I was in a place where people fought. And it's like, you try, try, I would end up in fights. Not that that's good, but like, that was my life. And I would do my rising block and my fucking, <laughs> just get, just, no <laughs> washy Gary, you know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would just get fucking, just, just smashed up. Now, what would happen is, I would try to do it and I was trying to do the martial arts and it wouldn't work and I'd start losing the fight and then I would just fucking go off. Like just white trash, born to scrap, just fucking grab him by the hair, fucking jacking him, right? And I would win a lot of fights, but I would get fucked up for like the first half of it because I'm trying to do the thing. And I'd go back to my sensei and be like, what happened? And he would go, oh, well, did you breathe and did you focus your chi and did you do your hand exercises? And I'd be like, fuck, okay. And I would, dude, I was the kid soaking my hands in herbs and hitting the makiwara every day because like, you're not lying to me. And then after a while, I would get super disillusioned with karate. And then I was like, oh, it must be kung fu. <laughs> and, then and then I get my ass whooped doing that. I go, oh, it must be Aikido. And then you just get, and you're like, oh, dude, what is going on, dude? So bad. And then it's like, okay, no, no, no problem. And then I was like, all right, uh, I found uh, Jeet Kune Do, like in the in the eighties, right? And it was like, man, fuck these martial arts uniforms. We're wearing wrestling shoes. We put on boxing gloves. We did challenge fights. We'd go pick fights and videotape them. Like it was, it was a thing. We did knife fighting with helmet, like stick fighting with helmets, and like we scrapped. And I was like, yes, finally, finally reality, right? And I do it and I get good. And I had tie boxing fights and I had boxing fights and I did bare knuckle fights and I had stick fights and I like it was just scrapping. And it was great, but it wasn't no there was no grappling. And then I was like, all right, cool. Now I'm in my fucking early twenties and shit. I have rented space at some racquetball place and I used one of the racquetball courts and we were doing tie boxing, like tie boxing and Jeet Kune Do type shit. And this guy came in who was getting ready. This is early nineties. Guy comes in getting ready for a fucking fight, like a Valley Tudo. I'd never heard of it, didn't know what it was. And he was like, yeah, I need to learn some striking. And I was like, cool, what do you do? And he's like, I wrestling and judo. He trained for the, he was an Eglin Air Force Base judo and wrestling team. So he was a fucking stud. I was like, oh yeah, you really do need to learn some real fighting because that's sport, that's play. I had no idea. 
right? No idea. And I was like, all right, you know, here we go. And I and I was just bad mouthing grappling because it's like it's stupid, dude. We didn't know, right? And I'm like, I'm a fucking striker, bro. And he was polite, but just like, well, it's better than you think. And uh, and I was like, uh. and then finally he was like, you know what we ought to do is we ought to just do a little fight so you can see. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, of course, man. But I was like, listen, I'm gonna I gouge you. I'm gonna grab your neck. I'm gonna grab your balls. Like I'm a fucking I'm a I'm a killer. And he was like, okay. And dude took me down, slapped me around, like old school, like gift wrapped me, pinched my nose shut, like just made me feel like a child, horrified. And I was like, fuck, this is bad. So I closed my school and I was like, where do you train? He goes, I train at this judo club. And I was like, sweet. So I showed up on Monday night with me and 15 people. And I was like, hey, listen, these guys have been giving me money to teach them how to fight. And I obviously don't know how. Can you teach all of us, please? And so all of my students and me joined that gym. And I started learning judo. And I was like, finally, I have all the answers. And then I saw the UFC and I was like, yeah, yeah, pajama wrestling. I do that. So I don't need jujitsu. I have this already. And I go to Colorado because Colorado's got great judo and I'm competing in judo. And then I'm all open to gym. And I was like, he was open on Saturday and my judo club wasn't. And I went in and I was like, hey, I basically do this. <laughs> I just don't have a gym on Saturday. And he was like, well, it's a little different. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And he's like, no, really, it's different. I was like, yeah, sure, sure. And then he shit on me. <laughs> and I was just like, Dude, I'm 27. When is this going to stop happening to me? Like, when am I going to stop being like, I think I have the answer, and then I just get a shout out? Like, I don't understand. Fortunately, ever since then, it hasn't happened. People have beaten the fuck out of me using jujitsu, but I have not been disproven. If somebody whooped my ass, it's because they used jujitsu to either do or prevent jujitsu from being done to them. I haven't lost a fight to a fucking boxer. I haven't lost a fight to a fucking karate guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. I've lost a fight to other professionals who also do grappling. So it's like the theory, I have been disproven as a fighter on a couple of occasions, but the theory has not been disproven. I just didn't do it well enough that night, but like, it wasn't like a blown theory. Like when I had only tie boxing and no grappling, that was a blown theory. My life has been a series of like, get your ass beat, recalculate, new art, get your ass beat, recalculate. But now it's been like 27, I'm 50. So it's been 23 years that I haven't, like, I think I'm set so far. And somebody will come in and go, I do the death touch. And I'm like, oh shit, let's see. And then I'm like, ah, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's been 23 years since I've had the, oh fuck. Now I got to add this moment. And then uh, what hardcore music do you like? <laughs> so it depends on what we're doing. I have activity-based music patterns. So like when we're kickboxing straight, no MMA, just kickboxing, boxing, it's like old Southern rap because it's rhythmic. It reminds me of the boxing gym that I was in when I was a kid, right? So it's like old Southern rap, old rap, old Southern. When we're doing MMA, it's like fighting and fighting to me reminds me of my childhood. And that's like 80s hardcore. Right. So like if I had to make a station on Pandora, it's minor threat. Right. So like yes. whatever plays on minor threat. One of my favorite bands. Right. So I've been straight edge for 30 years now. Right. Or nice. Yeah. Yeah. So like 31, 32 so years. Gorilla right. biscuits and we're oh, talking. Yeah. What? Right. So like that's what plays every night in the gym when we're doing what we're MMA. And then when I do jujitsu, I usually put on early, early 2000s, late 90s hardcore, like hate breed, earth crisis, shit like that. Because in my mind, I found jiu-jitsu when that shit was playing. 
So like my brain thinks jiu-jitsu reminds me of this music, fighting reminds me of this music, and boxing reminds me of this music. Jay, where can we get more information about you and everything that you're up to, man? The academymain.com is the academy's website. And from that, you can get everything else, right? So like there's a link to the Facebook page in there. There's a link to Functional BJJ on there. That Functional BJJ page is pretty cool. I never push it because I'm not a businessman, but it's like, it's our entire curriculum online. The idea was if somebody's in a spot where they don't have access to good jujitsu instruction, what are they supposed to do? If they can get a partner, there's a ton of individual techniques. There's classes they can follow along. So like they can do the class like we're doing it. I say, all right, everybody go practice. You push pause, you go practice with your partner, you come back in, push play. It says, all right, everybody come back in. And it's like, literally you can follow along like you're in class. And if you get stuck on a particular technique, you can go and find like a library on that technique. But that was more for people that were moving away that were like, fuck man, I miss the instruction. I have a place to train, but I don't have access to this part. And I was like, okay, I made it for those guys. But yeah, anybody can get access to it. So it's cool. I think maybe somebody's active on Instagram. I think my kid's doing that a little bit. I don't know. We will add all the links that Jay mentioned on the show notes to all the stuff so you guys can find everything that he's up to. Sweet. All right, everyone. I am your host, Adolfo Frana. Please like, share, and subscribe and uh, join the VIP. Come on. It's a great deal, less than a dollar a month. And uh, you get the uncensored J and all the behind the scenes and, and the extra stuff too. So thank you so much, everyone, for another week. Jay, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. It's really meant the world to me. And uh, I can't wait to do it again. Anytime, dude. See you next time.